progress. Our session, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, October 5th. But more importantly, this week is the Torah portion of Noah, and we're talking about the Great Flood. So yesterday, we talked about what precipitated, all puns intended, all the time. You know that by now. What precipitated the flood, which is corruption, specifically in the form of robbery, which means human on human disrespecting of property and person and all that stuff. And God did not like that. And God said, what is left of the world if we have a society in which people do not treat each other with respect, treat each other with care? Like what kind of world is that in which, um, you know, such negativity abounds? So God decides to destroy the world or to, as I said, reset the world to wash away the negativity and to kind of repopulate the world with Noah. And this is what happens with the flood. God, um, we know that Noah is a tzaddik, is a righteous person. And God calls on Noah to build an ark to save himself and his family, who will be the progenitors of humanity following the flood. God also instructs Noah to take the animals, two of each, male and female, obviously to propagate the species post-flood, but seven of seven pairs of the kosher animals. So one pair of all animals, seven pairs of kosher animals, which Noah, spoiler alert, which Noah understands, is intended not just for uh, population building, but for sacrifices post-flood. When he gets off the when he gets off the ark, he will know to offer animal sacrifices because God has told him to bring of certain animals, additional animals, and those are going to be used for the sacrifices. So I promised yesterday that we were going to get into some mystical concepts and today, and, and that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to start off. The flood is considered to be a cosmic mikvah. A mikvah is a ritual bath. It's a mitzvah that is at the core of purity, but also at the core of what I would call identity. Because as we know, if somebody is converting to Judaism, one of the integral parts of it, in addition to obviously studying about Judaism and being knowledgeable to one's choice about Judaism, choosing Judaism, in addition to that, what, what seals the deal, so to speak, with uh, a conversion is immersing oneself in mikvah. Because the mikvah is, well, I mean, it's, it's, we, we have a tradition, it says it, in, it says it in the Torah, but we also know that a mikvah is symbolic of rebirth like the amniotic fluid in the womb like that you know original um, water that was covering the earth the waters of the mikvah in which one submerges submerges oneself wholly represents this idea represents the notion that there is that what's occurring is a rebirth so it's kind of like when we immerse ourselves into something and we emerge a completely different you know with that experience in a completely different way when we only dip, again, these are, I'm speaking a little bit metaphorically, when we only dip a toe in an experience, so then it's not going to fully change us. We dipped a toe, we were cautious, we, we, we tried it out, all right. But when we immerse ourselves, when we throw ourselves completely into something, we dissolve, we submerge, we, we lose ourselves in an experience, that's completely different. And that's where the rebirth can happen. And so on a cosmic level, God says what's going on here is that evil is so embedded 
within humanity and subsequently into animal life, plant life on some level, and even the earth itself, the inanimate earth. So evil is so entrenched that the only solution is to hit the reset button and to bring back the waters, the cosmic flood, the cosmic waters that originally um, submerged the earth, and those will act as a cleansing to the earth. So it's less, as I said yesterday, just picking it up again today, it's less a punishment, although it was also that, it's less a punishment and more a cleansing. So it's kind of like, I'm just trying to think of an example. Certain things you can fix by tweaking. You know, you do a little tweak, a little, uh, a little adjustment, and you fix the problem. Sometimes it requires a bigger, a bigger fix. Sometimes you got to take the whole thing apart. Whatever that thing is, you got to take it all apart and start again. And that's what happens here. And thus, this explains why God says, ultimately, there's never going to be a flood again. I know I'm skipping ahead in the narrative. There will never again be this flood. And the reason is simply because the nature of humanity, the nature of the world itself, is such that it, it cannot be as de- depraved as it once was because of this cleansing, because this was cleansed in such a way that it should never need to happen again. Anyway, so there's, there's a, a, a deep clean that's going on here. And yesterday we read about the building of the ark, the introduction of the animals into the ark, the onset of the rain, or at least the promise of the onset of the rain, and Noah and his family and the animals going on, and essentially the door closing. So this is where we pick it up today. We're going to pick it up. Um, Let me find it over here. This is going to be reading number three. Torah portion is Noah or Noach. And Rabbi, can I just mention something? Absolutely, always. Thank you. Um, so thinking of you know the, the cleansing aspect of the mikvah, um, it would seem that it might be part of the process for Teshuva. Symbolically, for sure. I will tell you, many men, it's a Hasidic custom, Many go to mikvah every single day. Not as a biblical mitzvah requiring it, but because it's an act of spiritual, you know, kind of plugging back in spiritually. So there's also a commandment, there's also a mitzvah to go before Yom Kippur. So I think there is a very strong teshuva connection with that. I would agree with you. Basically what I'm trying to say is yes, I agree. It's a very, uh, very powerful connection. Here we go. Genesis chapter 7, verse 17. Let's read the next part of the narrative. Now the flood was 40 days upon the earth. Remember, this means that the active rain was falling and waters were coming up from the bowels of the earth. 40 days of water kind of building. And the waters increased and they lifted the ark and it rose off the earth. And I have to tell you what the Hasidic masters say over here. I'm going to give you symbolism even in, in, in a story. I'm going to throw in some symbolism, not to distract, but only to enhance the idea of these waters that are increasing, these turbulent waters that are, can you imagine the waters rumbling, if you will, you know, um, um, agitated waters, angry waters. It reminds us of, the challenges of life reminds us of financial pressure and other pressures. Mayim Rabim, in the language of the mystics, Mayim Rabim, the many waters. It's actually a, song, a, a verse from Song of Songs. 
The many waters, the turbulent waters, ultimately cannot vanquish the, the love of the soul for God. And this is the message here, that the waters are increasing, but when you're in an ark, when you have some sort of space to go for safety, then not only do the waters not drown, but on the contrary, the waters lift you up. Look, the ark was lifted because of the water. The flood waters rose. The ark, which was floating, also rose. So instead of the, the, of the, instead of the ark being at ground level, it's now up, 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 up. Why? Because of the waters. And this is a powerful message in life. If we only have an ark, which means if we have the tools to somehow survive the, the tumultuousness of this world, not only does it not take us down, the challenges can lift us higher. They can make us stronger, make us better people, make us deeper people. And this is a message ultimately for the purpose of the waters, not to take us down, but to lift us up. Let's continue in the, in the, in the narrative. Verse 18. And the waters became powerful, and they increased very much upon the earth, and the ark moved upon the waters. Now, I said yesterday it was built like a box, rectangle. It wasn't made to move, but here it says that it moved. It didn't move <coughs> from here, from, from where it was to the Atlantic Ocean. But it, it was moving. It was moving. It was navigating in its own way without any sails, without any, you know, what do they call it? Birth? I don't know if that's the right word. Whatever. Without any, the, the front or the back of the boat. I think there's, uh, not I think, there are terms for that. Nonetheless, it's, uh, it's moving. 19. And the waters became exceedingly powerful. Notice there's different stages, right? There's the waters increasing, the waters becoming powerful, and then the waters becoming exceedingly powerful. I hope you're noticing the, uh, the different terminology here. It's getting worse and worse is what I'm trying to say. The waters became exceedingly powerful upon the earth and all the lofty mountains that were under the heavens were covered up. Look at that. All the mountains were covered up by the, by the flood waters. That's how tall it rose. Fifteen cubits above did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered up. Um, okay. Fifteen cubits, we said a cubit is about 18 inches, so that's 22.5 feet. No, the tallest mountain is more than 22 and a half feet. But I think, I believe this means that it went that, that measure above the mountains. Let's continue, verse 21. And all flesh perished. What type of flesh perished? All flesh that moved upon the earth, among the fowl and among the cattle. What's interesting is that the birds also perished. Right? You would think the birds would be safe. The birds could fly above. No, even the birds perished. The cattle, the beasts, and among all creeping creatures that crept upon the earth and all mankind, everything that had the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils of all that were on dry land died. What's interesting is of course, we know that inanimate life also has a spirit of life, but he calls it the breath of the spirit of life, and he says nostrils. So he's referring to living creatures that, have, that function in that type of way, not referring to inanimate life or, frankly, even vegetation. He's talking about um, animal, insect, bird, life. Let's continue verse 23. And it, the flood, blotted out all the beings that were upon the face of the earth from man, to animal, to creeping thing, and to the fowl of the heavens. And they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah and those with him in the ark survived. So everything else is wiped away. Everything else perishes. And Noah 
and those in the ark are the ones that survive. The verse continues, the Torah continues, verse 24, and the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. This helps our timeline of understanding when and how things happened, how, how things trans- transpired. We have 40 days and 40 nights of active rainfall and active water coming up and coming down. So 40 days of that building up. And then the water remains on that level, stagnant for 150 days. And then the waters begin to recede, but it takes another half a year or so for the waters to fully recede. Are you with me? So 40 days and 40 nights is the buildup. Then it sticks around for 150 days, and then it begins to recede. It took about a year, as I said yesterday, until it fully dried out. Now, a point to mention, which I forgot to mention before. In the context of the discussion of the flood being symbolic to a mikvah, the, 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 the flood waters accumulated over the, the, the span of 40 days and 40 nights. Then they just sat there for a while. But they accumulated over 40 days and 40 nights. How interesting that in halach, in Jewish law, a mikvah, a kosher mikvah, has to have a certain minimum amount of water. And by the way, this water has to be living water, live water. What does that mean, live water? Water drawn from a natural source, not collected and dumped, but water that's springing up from a natural source. How do you get a mikvah in, 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 the, you know, in a building or whatever it is? It's a very complicated process. You have to channel like rainwater without being collected at any point. It has to channel straight down into that mikvah. Are you with me on that? You have to build a series of pipes or whatever, you know, drain system, obviously in a clean way, where the water is going directly either from a natural source or from a heavenly natural source, either below or above ground, into that mikvah. But what's the minimum requirement of water? The amount is 40 sa'a. Now that's, a, again, like an ama in, in, in distance is a saw in volume. Saw is a certain amount of volume. I don't know the exact, I couldn't give you the gallons right now. I just don't have it on the top of my head. But 40 saw is the minimum amount of water for mikvah. That number 40 being reminiscent and symbolic of the 40 days and 40 nights or the 40 days and 40 nights of the, of the flood being symbolic of the 40 saw of the mikvah, the minimum amount of 40 saw. 40 is also a, a significant number. The reason why I'm mentioning 40 now is because we talked about 150 and I realized, whoops, we forgot to talk about 40. So 40 days, 40 nights, 40 saw in the mikvah, 40 days and 40 nights, if you recall, Moses was on the mountain receiving the Torah before he came down and saw the sin of the golden calf and broke the tablets. But that initial transmission of Torah was 40 days and 40 nights. And that is an experience of Moses submerged, um, being submerged if you will, in this divine wisdom and almost like reforming, like reformatting his brain, his mind, his consciousness to be aligned with, uh, with, with, with God's wisdom. And, and so this, there's, there's a 40 that's associated with it. It also says that conception, it says that, what is it, what is it with conception? 40 days until like um, uh, details or distinction is, is born. It's interesting. It says in the Talmud, I believe, I, I don't believe I'm misquoting this. I think I'm, I think I'm accurate here. It says that you can pray for the gender of a child. If, so, if someone's pregnant and they wish to pray for either a boy or a girl, whatever it is, they wish to pray for a specific gender, um, you, it's not considered to be an invalid prayer 
within 40 days. So within 40 days, you can pray. After 40 days, it's a foolish prayer. It's a prayer for nothing. Why? Because it's already determined. Just because you can't see it, well, I mean, now we can see it. Right now we have uh, ultrasounds. Um, but back in the day, even if you couldn't see it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change. It's not like God is going to like, oh, you prayed. Boom. Let's, let's, go, let's go adjust things. It's already done. But within 40 days, the Talmud says, it's not yet determined. Thus, you can pray. By the way, Google this because I've done it. Biologically, when does gender, when is gender determined? Around six weeks. What's six weeks? 42 days. You can't make this up. These are latest, latest medical findings or the way medicine, we understand medicine is about six weeks is when the features, including gender, is determined. Because I believe, again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an expert, I'm not a scientist. I believe in the pure embryonic state, there is a potential for, there's, there's, the potential is there. The, 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 the actualization, the... Um, the emergence of one choice over the other happens around six weeks. And what the cause is, I can't tell you right now scientifically, but thus there is this idea of praying. So why am I saying this? Again, just, just the, the number 40 is, is significant, 40 within conception. It's kind of like it's a, it's a period of time. It's a period of space. It's a period of, of spirit in which birthing, creation, recreation can happen and happen. So that's the 40... Days and 40 nights. But in addition to that, getting back to our verse, the water sat stagnant, just saturating the earth for 150 days until they began to recede. Genesis chapter 8, let's begin. Verse number 1. God remembered Noah and all the beasts. By the way, remember what God forgot about them. It's like, oh, I'm enjoying swimming in this new pool that I've created for myself. Oh, look at that. Uh, ahoy, matey, look, I see uh, an ark. Oh, no, it's in there with all the... No, obviously God didn't remember in that conventional sense. But God noted. I believe Rashi even points that out. Let's see, Rashi over here on that verse. God remembered. Oh, interesting. He talks about Kabbalah. He doesn't call it Kabbalah, but I'm going to call it Kabbalah. Talks about Midas Hadin, Midas Harachamim, severity and kindness. Sounds like Chesed and Gvur, right? God transposed, God switched from the standard of justice, you like that standard of justice, Midas Adin, justice, severity, Gevura, and turned it to the stand, divine standard of mercy. Sounds like it should have a logo and a seal. The divine standard of justice, divine standard of mercy. Basically, God moved from justice to compassion through the prayer of the righteous. God remembered um, oh, take a look back to the theme I've been talking about. What did he remember regarding the animals? Right? It says he remembered Noah and the, and the animals. What did he remember regarding the animals? The merit that they did not corrupt their way before this, the flood, and they did not copulate in the ark. They were the ones that remained true and faithful to their species before the flood. And on the ark, they heeded God's command and did not engage in forbidden activities on the ark. Okay. Let me toggle Rashi off. Let's get back inside into the verse. Verse number one. So God remembers Noah and the animals and the cattle, all that stuff in the ark. By the way, beasts and cattle. Beasts would be like wild animals. Cattle would be domesticated animals. Um, and God caused a spirit to pass over the earth and the water subsided. It's kind of like um, maybe a wind or something. Some sort of wind, some sort of you know atmospheric change. And the waters began to subside. 
Remember, it still took a while. Let's continue verse 2. And the springs of the deep were closed. All right, no more water pouring up. And the windows. I like the apertures. Why did they change it? And the apertures. I'm going apertures. And the apertures of the heavens were also closed. And the rain from the heavens was withheld. So no rain. No flooding from below. No flooding from, no, no flooding from above. Everything was closed. And the waters receded off the earth more and more. That tells us more and more means it was a gradual process. Little by little. Ma'at. Sorry. Um, little by little, more and more, the waters receded. And the, waters dim- and the water diminished at the end of 150 days. That's another 150 days. You see, the waters were on the other for 150 days, and then they began to recede, and it took another 150 days for the receding. And the ark came to rest. Look at that. Before it was floating. You know why? There was no dry land around. The ark came to rest in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. Look at that. It rested on the mountains. You know what that means? That the water beneath hadn't totally dried out. Are you with me? Yes? So the waters are slowly receding to the point that now the ark can rest on the side of a mountain. Now, there's still flood water, but at least the ark is not floating. In case anyone was seasick, thank God we're not bobbing and moving. Anyone get seasick? Is any any uh, seasick? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> that would be a quite the traumatic year. I'm just saying, that was, uh, imagine the animals. Oh, I have never been on a cruise. Yeah, I can't, it's, um, I've seen videos of cruises hitting and like just banquet tables like, anyway. All right, let's continue verse five. And the waters constantly diminished, continuously diminished, I'm going to say, until the 10th month. You see that? It came to rest in the 7th month. Three months later, it was still, it was still diminishing. In the 10th month, on the 1st of the month, the mountain peaks appeared. Oh, now we got, uh, I know the timeline sounds wonky. Hold on, how did they rest on the mountain of Ararat? And only now the mountain peaks are, are appearing three months later. It must be various heights of mountain peaks. Let's continue. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days, another 40 days, that Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. So now we went into the 10th month, right? The first, and then 40 days later would be the 11th month. 10 days, 30, 40 days is from the first of the 10th month to the 10th of the 11th month. I'm sorry if this, if this is complicated. Basically, a month later, a month and 10 days later, is when Noah opens the window of the ark. Remember, he made a window that he had made. He had made the window and the ark. <laughs> he opens the window. Now, that must have been a pretty solid window. So kudos to him. This is before glass, I think. Before plastic. Yes, definitely before, like, he somehow winterized. No, he storm. he, f- I don't know. He great flood-proofed. That window, very impressive. And it still opened. Okay. My, you know, some windows don't open. It's a thing. You guys know this? Yes. Some windows, it's been a while. They get painted over, you know, somehow. And they don't open anymore. Anyway, his window's open. Um, Good for him. I'm just going to say that. Maybe he had a button. Went down. Window opened. What happens? Clearly, not clearly. as, As the story plays out, it seems pretty clear that he wants to see if there is dry land. 
because he knows that the, the ark is stopped and he knows that um, the waters are receding, but he doesn't yet know to what extent. Now you might say, why not send out a drone? That's it, send out a drone with a camera and go check out the situation. And the answer is because there were no drones. That's the obvious answer, right? And I'm giving you obvious, obvious, uh, obviousTorahInsights.com. ObviousTorahInsight.com is there were no drones. And he didn't open it up with a camera. Whatever. He didn't have that. So he sent out a raven. That's the best he had. Also, he didn't like the raven. The raven was annoying. The raven, should we talk about the raven for a second? Yeah. I happen to be from Pittsburgh and the Baltimore football team is the Ravens. And so there's, a, there's also a natural enmity, I believe is the right word, between Steelers and Ravens. But that's not where this is coming from, although it's not, not where it's coming from either. But what it's coming from is what our sages say about the Raven. The Raven was the one bird that did not listen to that guideline of not behaving in intimate fashion on the ark. The Raven did so. Additionally, when Noah sent out the Raven, you know what the Raven said? The Raven accused Noah. The raven said, I know why you're sending me out. The ra- the, uh, Noah sent out the male raven. Remember, there were two of each. The raven says to Noah, I... Right? The raven talked. It's also like a thing. The raven says to Noah, I know why you're sending me out. Because you want to hook up with my mate, Mrs. Raven. Oh, ho, ho, that was the accusation. That's a hot take, right? The raven is just absolute, like, accusing Noah of impropriety and improper intentions here. What we learn from this, our sages tell us, is that when a person has something on their, when someone has something on their mind, they can't see anything but that. The raven, right, had not been able to withhold itself from its uh, command or prohibition on the ark. And thus, when Noah sends it out, it's like, I know why, aha, all right, listen, Raven, right? Stop thinking about this. Think about something else. Turn your attention to, uh, to other things. That's the Raven, and it's a message in life as well. The Raven is sent out. Let's continue verse 7. The ravens, and he sent forth the Raven, and it went out back and forth until the waters dried up off the earth. So the Raven was circling, right? Raven was circling back and forth, flying around until it dried up, until the waters dried up. But... The, the water still wasn't dry. It wasn't 100% dry. So, it, it, so, so Noah sends out another bird. And he sent forth a dove. Right? Now not a raven, but a dove. Bit of a different bird, by the way. Raven is like a tough bird. Raven is some, symbolic of like cruelty and like... Um, it's like a... What do they call it? A um, scavenger? Is that the right, right word? Scavenger bird? Scavenges... Anyway, the dove, peaceful, loving, you know, docile. Anyway, he sends forth a dove from with him to see whether the waters had abated from upon the surface of the earth. So now he's sending out the dove. So the raven went out and just kept on circling. Now he's like the dove. He's like, you know, raven, whatever. Now the dove goes out, but the dove found no resting place for the sole of its foot. Apparently, like me, the dove doesn't like to step in something wet. Anyway, unless it's meant to be something wet, you're walking into a pool, that's one thing. But otherwise, ah, let me be wearing slippers and we will avoid this, all of this stuff. Um, <coughs> back, to our, back to our script here, back to the narrative. The dove did not find a place to rest, so it returned to the ark. It returned to him, to Noah, to the ark, because there was, there was water upon the entire surface of the earth. So the dove comes back and says, no deal, no dice. 
no dry land. So Noah stretched forth his hand and he took it. I love that vision of Noah like stretching forth and the dove comes back in and brought it to him in the ark. So now the dove is back. He waited again another seven days and again he sent forth the dove from the ark and the dove returned to him at eventide. Now, you may be wondering, when is eventide? I'm going to call it evening. Why eventide? Because whoever was translating this was having a good time with words. They were, they were enjoying vocab. I believe eventide is evening. Um, in fact, in Hebrew, it's Erev, so it's definitely evening. By the way, Erev, evening, is related to the word Orev, which means raven. You guys see that? All my Hebraists over here? Orev is, is raven. Ayin Reish Bet, and Erev is evening. You know why? Because evening, it starts to get dark, and what color is the raven? The raven is black, right? It's a dark... Anyway, that's one of the symbolisms in this. Arev also means... It has a lot of different meanings to it, but back to our story. So the dove returned to him at Erev, at eventide, and behold, ah, it had plucked an olive leaf in its mouth. Ah, oh, the famous dove with the olive leaf in its mouth. So Noah knew that the water had abated from the earth. Well, he knew at least that the olive groves, olives grow fairly low to the ground. Olives don't grow like super high, right? If that's not true, it's fine. For this purpose of, this, of the story, this is, this, is what, this is what I'm maintaining. That olives are growing fairly low to the ground. And the fact that, thank you, Sarah, the fact that it came back with an olive even in its mouth means that the waters had almost receded all the way. So Noah knew that the water had abated from upon the earth, more or less. He waited again another, I'm adding it more or less. He waited another seven days and he sent forth the dove. This is the third time for the dove. And it no longer continued to return to him, which means that the dove said, see you later, alligator, to the alligator, mind you, because that's they were also in the ark. See you later, I'm out, y'all enjoy the ark, but I found dry land. At that point, Noah realized the dove left, did not come back, realized that the land was dry and safe to re-inhabit. Can you imagine the trepidation? Oh man, I cannot imagine. Coming out of that pod after a year, OMG, as the kids like to say. Verse 13, and it came to, I'm kidding, also adults, and it came to pass in the 601st year. Remember, this is 601st year of his life. He was 600 when he went into the ark, he was now 601, Mazel Tov, no Facebook, no internet, no WhatsApp. You guys know that Facebook was out yesterday? Yes, people were freaking out, a whole thing, right? The world shut down, no Facebook, Gewalt. Zuckerberg apparently lost like $6 billion. He lost. On paper, he lost. I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he's doing okay. Bottom line is, he didn't have a chance to get his Facebook happy birthdays on the ark, turning 601. But he had a strong 602, I'm sure. So in his 601st year of his life, in the first month, on the first of the month, it was then that the waters fully dried up from upon the earth and no removed the covering of the ark. Yeah, just phew, covering comes off. And he saw, and behold, the surface of the ground had dried up. At that point, he hadn't been able to see anything. He didn't install like cameras on the outside. This wasn't a Tesla. So it wasn't like uh, cameras on the side of the vehicle. He didn't see what was going on. He opened a window, sent out a bird. He wasn't sure. He didn't see. He couldn't tell what the earth was like. He opened up the cover and behold, he saw <coughs> the ground had dried up. Let's continue verse 14. And in the second month, 
the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. I know what you're thinking. How many different times do we have that the earth was dry, the earth was dry, the earth was dry? It was a process. Relative to before, it was dry, but not fully dry, still muddy. We all know the different degrees of muddiness and dryness. So that's what's going on. And at that point, second month, 27th day of the month, the earth was fully dry, inhabitable, ready to inhabit by human beings. I want to share with you, I, I think the story speaks for itself. We spoke about a little bit of the, the Kabbalah, of the story overall yesterday and today. Um, I want to, I want to, I, th- I feel like just sharing with you one insight and then we, you know, we're at least on my side, I think, I think we're good with this reading. The, the question that commentators ask is why the raven, why the dove, what's going on over here? He first sends the raven, verse 7, then he sends the dove three times, right? Dove 1, dove 2, dove 3, right? So what's, what's going on? Why first the raven, then why the doves? And I want to share with, I, I sh- I've shared this before, but to me it's always um, on my mind when I read this. And it's the first thing really that comes to mind. You know, what, what happens after we survive trauma? What happens when we, sur- when we are survivors? Noah was a survivor. And you might say, well, he didn't die. His neighborhood was perished. His world was destroyed. That's trauma. That's 100% trauma. His life for a year on that ark, taking care of, his, of the animals and his family, was also traumatic. So, how do we exist post-trauma? That's the question. And when I say post-trauma, the trauma never goes away. But what's our reaction to the trauma that we've, that we've endured, that we've faced, that we've been hit with? One reaction is we put up our defense mechanisms. We put up our walls. We put up the wall. If we've been hurt in love, we wall off our heart. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable again because I know what it feels like for someone to take my heart and to break it. And I don't want that to happen again. So maybe we put up walls around our heart. Maybe we put up walls elsewhere around their personality. Defense mechanisms. And we walk through life without even knowing it necessarily consciously. We, ha- we walk through life with all of these Defenses up because of the hurt that we experienced at some point. No one goes through life without hurt. Everyone's story is different. Everyone has different barriers and different guards, but guards everyone has. The raven is symbolic of darkness. The raven, I mentioned before, Erev, evening, darkness, mystery, mystery. Right? The raven is black. It represents this idea of gvura, of harshness, of severity. It represents the idea that we might think that post-trauma, we're going to live life, but we're going to be tough. We're going to be strong. We're going to be tough. We're going to be a little harsh because we're protecting ourselves from being hurt again. So we develop the persona of toughness in order to shield ourselves from that hurt. And that's how Noah first approaches post-flood life. 
with the raven. But the raven finds no place to land. It keeps on circling. Goes back and forth. You know why? Because that's not a life. Life can't, it's not really sustainable to live with such harshness. Even if it's understandable and forgivable, obviously, no judgment. But it's not a life. And Noah realizes himself that he needs to change course. He needs to recalibrate. It's one thing I love about GPS. Never judgmental. You miss a turn? I can't believe it. I told you for the last two miles, make the turn. What is this? No, 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 no. The GPS, never judgmental. GPS, always even keeled. Oh, you missed the turn? No problem. There's another opportunity right up ahead. Do a quick U-turn. Quick U-E on the highway. Don't do that, right? No problem. We'll get you back where you needed to go. It's like God and Shuva, right? We get all worked up like, oh no, what's gonna happen? God's like, cut the drama. Just, just recalibrate, get back on track. No big deal. If only we could do that. So anyway, Noah recalibrates himself and he pivots. Ooh, that's a nice modern term. He pivots from the post-trauma. He pivots from the, the severity approach to the dove. The dove is white, represents chesed and love because Noah realizes that as painful as his life has just been and as much horror as his eyes have witnessed and other associated traumas that he is going to be living his life with his heart open with his sensitivities intact and with love first. There's another biblical character that you and I know and love, I hope, who demonstrated this love, notwithstanding trauma, love first approach. Who is it? Little trivia question. Who is it? Who was on the receiving end of tremendous amounts of trauma and who remained sensitive and caring and loving? Joseph. 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 My hero, my fave, don't tell the others. Joseph, right? Trauma. Talk about a guy. 17 years old. His brothers want to kill him, throw him in a pit with snakes and scorpions. They pull him out, sell him, he gets sold. He finds some measure of success, framed for a crime he never, he never committed, in a dungeon for two years. Throughout the time, he never lost his sensitivity to another, to another human being. He never became cold and callous. I've said this countless times. The Rebbe taught this, and I, I've shared this countless times. The key to his becoming viceroy was that morning when he woke up, saw the butler and the baker in the dungeon with him, and he said to them, why do you look a little sadder today? Why do you look sad today? Why, the down, why do you look downcast? My question is, Joseph, why do you care? Why do you care about someone else's feelings? Shouldn't you not care anymore? Shouldn't you put up a wall around your heart and say, I don't care. I don't care about anybody. Isn't that the normal response? It is the normal response. It's an understandable response. It's a natural response. It's the raven response. But Noah and Joseph teach us an incredibly brave alternative, which is to fight the, to fight with every ounce of our strength, to keep our heart and our sensitivity open. 
And it's almost impossible. But it's possible. No judgment. No judgment. We all do this to varying degrees. Varying degrees of experience of traumas. Varying degrees of response to trauma. The message here is, even if it feels natural to respond harshly, and even if that is our initial response with the raven, ultimately it's the dove that precipitates the rebuilding of this world. Ultimately, the rebuilding of our world, of our lives, of our environments happens when we go dove first, not raven first. Let me check in. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. All right. That's all I got for today. I mean, there's more, but that's, that's, that's going to be it for today. Um, it's a powerful Torah portion, powerful themes, and uh, I'm excited about the next few days. So just a quick scheduling um, and f uh, just scheduling and planning sesh. Um, I'm looking here at the text on my side. So we have four, five, six, and seven. Tomorrow's Wednesday. So let's say we did on Wednesday, four and five, and on Thursday, six and seven. Then we do the Haftorah on Friday. Or we can do four tomorrow, five and six on Thursday, seven and Haftorah on Friday. Okay, we'll see. I'm going to work on, oh, it's a short Haftorah. It's a short Haftorah, relatively short. Is it in the same theme as the, this week's portion? Yeah, well, here, I, I'll, I'll give you a sneak preview. Shh, don't tell anybody that I did this. Okay. Ba-da-bam. See, it's right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Half door. It's been here the whole time. Hiding in plain sight. It's like those receding waters that Noah was not sure about. It's the half door right here from Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 10. Ten verses. That's it. Rani Akara. Sing, you barren woman who has not born, burst out into song and jubilate. Etc. Basically... Uh, let's, I'm, no, I'm not going to give insights now. We're, we're, we're going to study this. We're going to study the symbolism of this Haftorah, the connection with this week's Torah. Oh, here we go. For this is to me as the waters of Noah. Boom. Clear reference in Isaiah to the waters of Noah. So um, without getting too, too much into this, we will be studying this at some point on Friday, either completely, like exclusively, or seven and Haftorah. We'll divide it. Okay, so I don't have any decisions yet. We'll so figure Rabbi, out the application. So just yeah. from seeing that briefly, so it looks like, so is that true for all the Haftorah portions that there's a kernel of connection and then yeah. it's founded on other yeah, things? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. There's, um, it's, it's, a, it's its own text from the books of the prophets. It's been selected because there's something, there's some connection. Sometimes it's more obvious, sometimes less obvious. It's not a repeat of the Torah portion, for sure not. It's its own thing. But it's always got some sort of connection, and it deserves to be studied on its own. So look, we could either go through Tanakh, go through the books of the prophets in order, or what, we've, what we're doing is, starting at least, to, um, to study the Haftorah that is connected, associated with that week's Torah portion. All right, so that's it for today. Um, I want to thank you, as always, for joining me on this let me straighten my swivel chair out. I want to thank you for joining me on this, uh, on this journey that we call Daily Power Parsha, i.e. Torah study. Just a quick note of uh, programming. Tonight, we don't have a class. Tonight, tomorrow night, we have Torah studies. In person and on Zoom. You can do both, by the way. You can show up and, you know, people that go to the stadium, 
and listen to radio because the radio's got a better, like, you've got an announcer. You can, like, hear what's going on because you might not see everything. So, like, you can come to the class and be on Zoom and catch everything. Think about that. We'd love to have you in person. So join us, 7.30 if you can, here at Chabad in town, upstairs in the shul, because I'm downstairs in the office, upstairs in the shul. That's tomorrow night, Thursday, on Zoom only, Thursday night on Zoom only, we have Talmud Part 2, the swashbuckling, seafaring, pirate treasure nabbing adventure continues with Curious Tales of the Talmud Part 2. And you're going to love it. If you took part one, you know already how amazing it is. If you haven't yet taken it, take two, you'll be, you'll be good. You don't need part one to take part two. It's standalone stuff. It's going to be amazing. Thursday night, spread the word, 8 p.m. So tomorrow night, 7.30, Thursday night, 8 p.m. That's all the news that's fit for print. Oh, also, I think I've been thinking that Hot Topics was next Monday. It's, the week, it's a week from Monday. Plenty of time. Also, surprise announcement going out later today, hopefully. So stay tuned. Keep on refreshing your inbox for information. You don't want to miss the surprise that is coming up, hopefully later today. Today's Rabbi Schusterman's birthday. Yes, a very happy birthday. Thank you for reminding me to Rabbi Schusterman. Very special day. And um, you can all feel free to reach out. Rabbi at Chabanatown.org. That's Rabbi Schusterman's email address to wish him happy birthday. And all blessings. All right, awesome. Good. Thank you for joining me today for DPP. We'll see you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Pleasure, pleasure. Good to see you. Take care.